This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. It's Michael, also known as Chicago Wiz. Thanks for listening, and welcome to yet another episode. Wow, it's uh, three or four weeks in a row. I'm actually on a little bit of a posting streak or recording streak here, so that's uh, that's nice. But I'm playing a lot of games these days, and that's nice as well. And I've got things that I wanted to talk about. The most recent tabletop game happened, as I uh, had mentioned, and uh, we're still planning on meeting for our next game. I've got my play-by-post game, which has pretty much continued non-stop since uh, 2015. And I've also got my every-other-week online game. And I learned lessons from all three of these games, and that's what today's episode is about, is sharing a lesson that I learned from uh, the uh, online game. So let me set up the situation for you. Have a druid. And uh, this druid is a very inventive and colorful character, run by a very inventive and colorful player. And... uh, This druid Mort reached, uh, well, actually had reached fourth level and was talking about, uh, you know, I want to try and research some of these spells and do some of these other things. Uh, the, The player is very enamored with some of the skills and abilities that came from the second edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, where um, a lot of the you should call them subclasses or special classes like the druid uh, and the ranger had a lot more things added to them, a lot more options. Um, First edition was kind of the first place where you saw a lot of these uh, specialized characters like the druid and the um, ranger and assassin first really spelled out. Okay, so got a druid, wants to do all these spells and kind of like the paladin I wanted my druids to be unique to my world uh, you know if, if you run these characters by the book you're playing Gary Gygax's Greyhawk which hey you know that works for you great but I like tweaking the classes to fit my campaign world instead of vice versa so I'm looking at the druid and I'm like well there's some things that I want to change about it Now, if you look at page 21 of your player's handbook for first edition, there's a table there that lists the druids and their levels and the names of each level. And so the first level is, I think, I don't have the book in front of me, I'm in my car. Uh, The first level, I believe, is Aspirant. The second level is Ovate, I believe. And then the third level is initiate into the first circle. Oh. Well, it occurred to me that, hey, having something happen in order for them to become an initiate 
makes a lot of sense, you know? You, you, you've spent the first two levels kind of eh, proving that you can walk and chew gum at the same time, um, as well as, you know, getting used to navigating the world in the way that a druid should navigate the world. Maybe reaching third level should involve something. So, I did what every dungeon master does, or I think what every dungeon master does. I started poking around into the history of what druids are, and I poked around on a few websites, did Google search, of course looked at Wikipedia, and the things that really struck me was that druids, at least the way I read it, seem to be more about operating as a little group, a little club, you know, that they, they had their area, they had their territory, and they were kind of the arbiters of that territory. They they served as almost like justices of the peace, mediators, um, in, intercessories, intermediaries to gods and the natural world and the spiritual world. Um, you know, they... Uh, while they were about nature, history doesn't say that they were completely about nature. Um, there's the implication that they may have worshipped gods. And all of this is very interesting to me. And so slowly this kind of played in my head that perhaps druids in my world were regional groups, if you will, versus one overarching you know, Druidic society that uh, Gygax's Greyhawk, uh, you know, puts into his rules. So I threw away with the whole thing of, hey, the only way you can advance is by combat, and there's only one Druid in the world, and there's only one Arch Druid in the world, and yada yada, because if you read on in, in Unearthed Arcana, they kind of expanded beyond that. It was kind of more of the same. Um... I think I talked about that in a previous episode. It's been a few years. Anyway, so that was one change. Druids are regional-based, so if a druid is going to truly become an aspirant of the first circle, second circle, and so on, if they're going to grow in levels, they need to get associated with the group that they are a part of. Now, warning, there are some spoilers ahead, um, so if you, <laughs> this is mainly aimed at two people in my campaign, um, if you are druids in my campaign and uh, you're listening, listen further at your own risk. So, what is it that a druid has to do at third level. Well, one of the things in the AD Druid is at third level, the Druids get certain abilities, um, like the, you know, the ability to be able to walk through thick underbrush. You know, think think of a, a forest, you know, a very thick forest, or if you've ever walked out in the field and come across uh, uh, an area that has high twig count. You know, very thick, very thorny. It's, really a pain in the butt to walk through it. Most people walk around it. Well, the druid can cruise right through it with absolutely no change in their movement rate and virtually unseen, which is kind of cool. 
Um, they also get a few other abilities, uh, identification of things, and, and so on. But I wanted this to be significant, and I want getting to third level to be tied into the druids now got to get associated with the group that's operating in the region that they're in. So the druid has to pass some sort of initiation. Initiate, initiation. And this then brings me to an area of D&D and AD&D that I'm probably different than most dungeon masters. I do not like skill challenges. Haven't liked them since I played way back in the day when I was, you know, young teenager doing this for the first time. Um, Don't like the idea that dice indicate, can I tie a knot? Well, of course you can frickin' tie a knot. Of course a thief can pickpocket that person walking through the marketplace or open a simple lock. You know, it's a damn lock. You're sitting there and you're going to pick it. Eventually a pickpocket is going to be able to get something out of the pocket of someone. Eventually you're going to be able to pick that lock. It just always seemed odd to me that there were some things that, you know, it's painfully obvious that you should be able to do it, but for whatever reason, the dice say you don't. I never really liked them. (laughs) To me, dice tell a story in a game in a way when failure is interesting um, or the players have, you know put their fate in the hand of dice but to just operate in a day-by-day basis it just you know never made any sense to me like negotiation oh i'm gonna roll against my diplomacy and i'm using you know fifth level or fifth edition terms you know i'm gonna roll against my diplomacy or against my intimidation now really negotiate with me really you know um really try to intimidate me. Do the things that your character would do to make this work. And I get it that not everybody is, you know, going to be able to uh, you know, sway me with words or be a diplomat of some sort or, you know, be a big, tough mafia kind of person, you know, going to make you an offer you can't refuse. I get that, which is why I award effort not necessarily the actual thing. You know, if, if a player puts some effort into saying, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, I will roll dice for the monster's reaction because the player doesn't control what the monster is going to do, and I like the dice to do that. But definitely, if a player puts some effort into, you know, uh, describing to me how they're going to succeed... I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt and perhaps some bonuses on their uh, dice rolls. So if I have kind of that background of not liking, you know, rolling the dice to see if you can tie your shoes, how am I going to handle the initiation of a druid? You know, I don't like skill challenges where, you know, the, the, the player rolls a dice. Oh, I fail at this. Oh. What happens now? You know, 
know? And, and to me, as a player, I don't like that. I want to have control over my fate, or I at least want to have the illusion of control and choice over, over my uh, character. You know, I didn't want to do it by combat. And, and to me, you know, uh, Gygax choosing druids and monks and whatnot to advance levels by combat, while maybe cinematically, you know, correct for the time, it just feels kind of forced. So I looked back at things that I did enjoy doing. And, and now I'm really going to date myself because I'm going to go back to the mid-80s. And there's a series of computer role-playing games that you may be aware that I'm, I'm very enamored with because they made quite an impression upon me. There was the Ultima computer role-playing games. And specifically, I'm thinking of Ultima 4. And if you um, haven't ever played Ultima 4, uh, one, I encourage you to go find it and play it. I believe, actually, you could download it for free, or at least you could, um, from uh, uh, goodoldgamesgog.com. Ultima 4 opens up with you being interviewed by a mysterious uh, soothsayer, and she asks you a series of questions which you have to choose an answer for. I always found that fascinating. And then I realized that my, my issue with uh, the, the Druid selection, which to quote the Matrix, it's a question of choice. And I wanted those choices to mean something. So the initiation is less about the druid proving that they can be a druid and more about choosing what kind of a druid are they going to be. So I, again, dug around the internet with, uh, you know, there's, there's dozens of personality tests and puzzles and quizzes and whatnot of, you know, hey, you're faced with this, this choice, you know, you're faced with this problem or this situation of, you know, there's a kid standing in front of a church, you know, begging for food or, you know, what do you do kind of thing. So I set up a test for the Druid based on a series of choices that's going to indicate what the Druid or what the player and character feel that they are particularly called for. And I'm not going to ruin the surprise again, you know, have listeners, but I basically set it up so that the druids are making choices between elements and uh, aspects of those elements, uh, gods, and and other things in my campaign that really are going to help tell me and the player what that character is going to be influenced by or focused on as they move up through the druid circles. And I intend on those choicing choices having ramifications so that as things happen in the future or if the character decides that they want to do spell research or as they gain access to new spells, those things are going to be influenced by the choices that that player made. And it seems to have worked out real well. Um, the The character was surprised. They had no warning that this is what was going to happen. 
Um, initially, the, the, the druid character was engaged in combat against the door guardian, which they didn't have to be. But their first reaction was, this thing is moving towards me. It looks like a carnivorous plant. I'm going to destroy it. Well, they didn't have to. But they, they kind of eventually figured that out. Um, so, you know, it, it just because of circumstances in my campaign, this druid had no warning that they were going to be initiated. Um, I, I think that in the future, future druids may have some sort of a inkling that, hey, you know, this is going to be an initiation uh, kind of uh, thing, you know. The game evolves. Um, the players all seem to enjoy it, not only just the druid player, but the other players as well. And, and I kind of like that because it also allows me to think about in the future, you know, maybe I'm going to run things with the clerics or with the paladins or uh, magic users, you know. Give them the ability to influence their future, not necessarily by rolling dice um, and, and, you know, accepting their fate from that dice roll, but setting things up and saying, make a choice. You decide where your character wants to go. I know that I always like that when I have that option in, uh, when I play games. And so why not give that to the, uh, my players as well? So yeah, so that's a little bit of a lesson learned and, and something that uh, I intend on carrying forward in my, in my campaign. And uh, you know, as the druids move up uh, various levels now, you know, now my druid character has unlocked the third and fourth level abilities by being able to pass this initiation. And uh, we'll see what happens as they move on up. Um, and that's about it. My tabletop game isn't going to happen until July, alas. Uh, summer plans have uh, once again come into play, but um, my uh, online game is rolling forward pretty well, and my uh, play-by-post game is reaching a climax of sorts, and, and I'm really excited. To, to me, this is kind of the thing that, that I love, is, is seeing when these big things happen. What are my players going to do? What's going to happen? And uh, what's going to happen to my campaign world? I, I like to think about it that D&D uh, &D is where I'm exploring my world alongside the players, and, and I get excited to see where are we going to go next. All right, so that's about it. I uh, hope you all are having a good spring and summer, and until next time, game on.